Amen. If you have your Bibles for a little while, let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. I'm going to read it. All. No, I'm not. Some of you start grabbing your pillow already. We are going to, uh, perhaps for the next couple of weeks or so, I was attracted to this a few weeks ago, and I kind of put it on the back shelf, thinking of some time in the future, and and uh, the Lord brought it back to the forefront. And so I'm going to do my best to uh, begin something tonight. For a jumping off point, let's just begin with chapter 5 of Matthew and uh, we'll begin reading with verse 1 and uh, we'll not read the entirety of uh, what we are we we know as the beatitudes um, i like to think of them as the b attitudes uh but you can think about them however they inspire you but um It reads like this, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So much is contained in those two verses that I don't have time to go in depth, but the fact that he sat down is significant that this was a prime moment for him to teach principles of his kingdom. And it was part of, uh, of the known uh, culture of that day that when a, uh, a priest or a minister had something significant to say, they would always sit uh, and, and that was indicative that it's time to pay attention. These, the, these are critical things that you're going to hear. And uh, so it begins like that. And then he goes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And everybody said amen. Just a beginning tonight, but I want to talk to you for a a couple of Wednesday nights or so about kingdom principles. Kingdom principles. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount, as this is known, uh, is one of the most powerful presentations of the kingdom of God and its principles that you will find anywhere In scripture, it's been called many things. Uh, Some have labeled it as the Magna Carta of the kingdom. Uh, 
Others have referred to it as the manifesto of the king. In truth, it is a compendium of Christ's doctrine. It is a a, a, a heavy dosage of what he taught his disciples while he was here on the earth. Now, you have to understand that Matthew is a collector. He is a tax collector by trade before his conversion. And so in his habit of collecting information, he gathers together all of these things that had been taught and he had heard. Now, Luke does something similar in his writings, but you will find that many of the things that Matthew keeps going to are scattered throughout the book of Luke where they are brought all together and condensed here in in this setting. Some believe that perhaps when Jesus went into the mountains with his disciples that he was there for perhaps a week or so. And these were the things that were taught during that time frame with his disciples. More often it is believed that Matthew did what he was good at, and that was just collecting. And so when he began to write his gospel, he collected together all of the main principles that he had heard and that Jesus had taught, and he puts them, condenses them, and packs them all together in these uh, these three chapters, five, six, and seven. And whatever you call them, they contain the distilled essence of the teachings of Jesus Christ concerning the kingdom. And they are so important because they actually show faith in shoe leather. This is what living for God looks like. This is a picture of true Christianity. And they speak to the heart of all human beings. They are a crying out against false attitudes of so-called righteousness. You must remember that one of the things that Jesus had to contend with in his day when he was on the earth was this false conception and idea of religion that the scribes and Pharisees had made uh, God's kingdom out to be. God had begun by giving them ten laws, and out of those ten laws and a few other commandments, these scribes through the years had been able to massage them and 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 work on them until now at the time that Christ was on the earth they had over 613 commands that had been uh made part of the religious experience or the religious atmosphere and what they portrayed was an extremely false image of what the kingdom of God was really like. And so many of the Lord's teachings had to do with uh, with showing the wrong of the Pharisees and showing the wrong of the scribes in what they had made having a relationship with God to look like. 
And they had brought it into this convoluted uh, experience. And there were 300 and something negative commands. And there were 265 positive commands. And, and they had made it so complicated that uh, only a few could even dare attempt to live up to those things. And they had made it much more than what God had intended for a man's relationship to God to be. And so they had created this false image or idea, these attitudes about living for God. And they had this false idea of what true righteousness was. True righteousness to them which was equivalent to true happiness, had to do with artificial things. True happiness to them was born of what you had or what you could do or your circumstances or your conditions in life. According to the scribe and Pharisee, what they considered to be righteousness was all based on external things. You could observe these things, but be mean as a junkyard dog, as you know, I've said before, and that was okay. And Jesus called their, he called them out on that, you, you know, uh, but they had made living for God and having a relationship with God to be this artificial focusing on the minute details of of every law, but neglecting the weightier matter of character. That they had made living for God something that you did, not what you were. And Jesus came to set forth what true righteousness looks like. And true happiness as he refers to it here in the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, doesn't depend on the kind of car that you drive. Rather, it depends on the man or the woman who drives the car. According to what Jesus taught concerning the kingdom... This blessedness of life does not depend on the kind of house that a man lives in, but the kind of man that lives in that house. And this was a stark difference to what the scribes and the Pharisees had taught. That's why they opposed him, because he exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed their duplicity. He he exposed their 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 artificialness, their sham, their the facade that they had made having a relationship with God to be, and they had missed what the law was given for. And so Jesus comes and he begins to teach these disciples that that happiness is not dependent on the clothes that you wear, but the person who wears the clothes. And he taught that What is true happiness is found in who you are, not in what you have. And that's why there was such a clash between the Pharisees and Jesus. And that's why they hated him 
so severely. Now, that's not my message tonight, but I just want you to understand that when you begin reading this Sermon on the Mount, you are reading the Lord's message. You're reading His teaching concerning what true relationship with God looks like. And so He goes through a number of different Issues and none of them are related per se. They, 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 they seem to be a hodgepodge of different things, but he brought them all together because they represented to Matthew and Luke the condensed essence of what Jesus taught about his kingdom. And in these three chapters, if you could sum them up, you would find that in chapter five, He taught what true righteousness looked like and how true righteousness is manifest in a person's life. And then in chapter 6, he taught about what true worship looked like and how worship was more than just what you did. It was what you were. It was who you were. And it involves so many different aspects. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but... We'll get into that. And then chapter 7, he shows them what true judgment or true uh, wisdom looks like. This, the, the, the decisions that you make in life, what they're based on. And so when you look at this Sermon on the Mount, you are, you are, you, you are experiencing the richest, I'm talking about the purest nectar of uh, of the doctrine of, and the teaching of Christ that you can find anywhere. And you will find in this the, these three chapters almost any issue that relates to life and living is discussed in some manner. Or there's a principle that is connected to that that is discussed in in these three chapters. And so when I started looking at them... I. That's where I came up with my title. They they represent kingdom principles. That if you and I are going to be true representatives of the kingdom of God, then these things are going to be manifest in our life as well. And what's interesting to me, and, and I don't have time to go into all of those details tonight. We'll try to pick up a few of them. And I don't even know, we'll have, I, I, you could probably teach a whole year on the Sermon on the Mount and not really plumb the depth. And so I'm not going to do that to you. Some of you already look tired when I even mention that. But I do want to just pull up some highlights. But what I want you to get tonight is that almost every issue of life is covered in these three chapters. He talks about what a truly blessed life looks like a truly blessed life now according to the pharisee blessing was based on external things but according to jesus blessings were an internal thing and if you get that wrong if you place the emphasis on the external and You have to have the external to be happy. You're never going to know what real happiness is. But if you can ever understand that real joy and real happiness starts on the inside, 
then it doesn't matter what you have going on on the outside. You can be happy in any circumstance in your life. You can deal with any problem that comes into your life. You can deal with any pressure or anything that happens. But it has to come from the right source. And so he talks about what a truly blessed life looks like. And and it begins with certain attitudes. Attitudes about yourself. Uh, how you look at yourself, how you view yourself. He talks about being poor in spirit. Now he wasn't, he wasn't magnifying poverty. He was magnifying humility. The poor in spirit was not poverty in material things, but it was a person who had a true understanding of who they were in relationship to God, and they had no dependence on themselves, but total dependence on God. And so they humbled themselves before his mighty hand, and God said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When I read that again today, I thought, wow, the whole kingdom is given to the man who understands the importance of humility and humbling himself before the mighty hand of God. If you want to be exalted, what did Jesus teach? You got to learn how to be put down. If you want to be a master, you're in the wrong business. If you want to learn how to be a servant, then you're in the right place. Because he didn't come to teach people how to be masters. He said, there's one master. What I want to teach you how to be as a servant. And, and when you understand that about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is not based on what, what is done to satisfy you. That's what's wrong with so many churches in our day is that the whole, the whole church is geared around making you happy or making us happy or making them happy. And that's the wrong concept of church. The church concept should be that we have come here to serve the Lord. We have come here to magnify the Lord. We have come here to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And he said, if you will humble yourself before me, I will exalt you. And so when we stop making church about us and we start making it about him, powerful things happen. It's what happened around here Sunday night. It's what's happened many services. When we quit making church about our creature comforts and, and, and I'm not saying you don't need to be comfortable in church. Please, I, we don't turn the air conditioner down to 40 so you'll freeze to death on purpose. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we come in here, we come in with the mindset of what am I going to get? I hope the preacher helps me today. I hope he can encourage me today. Somebody needs to understand the kingdom of God is not about me. It's about him. But when I make it about him, then he makes it about me. And this is the amazing thing about God is that if I keep trying to make it about me, he'll let me stumble along and just flounder. But if I'll make it about him, then he will make my business his business. And he will bless me with the kingdom. What's all in his kingdom? You just go explore a little bit and you'll be encouraged. Amen. 
The second thing that I noted is that he talked about attitudes that bring blessing into our life. The right attitude that a person has to embrace. And those attitudes many times are humbling and they are condescending. They are, they're, they're, they're going down before you can go up. But when you learn to embrace the right attitude in living for God, God embraces you in a powerful way. He talks about our responsibility to the world that we live in. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're not here just to waste time. You're here with a divine purpose on your life. You need to let your influence be felt in the community and culture that you live in. He talks about what real truth looks like. And he talks about uh, when a person makes an oath. Now, he wasn't talking about swearing or abusing curse words that we think of when we swear to this or that or somebody swore. Uh, We... When he was talking about swearing, he was actually referring to what was true. That they they are certifying that what I'm saying is true. And he's trying to help them understand how to really determine what is true and what is right. And, and, and understand that truth and righteousness are not based on convenience. Amen. They're based on much deeper things of conviction. What real truth looks like is something that will draw me to a higher place. He doesn't do away with the law. He said that. Verse number 17 of chapter 5. He said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I've come to show you what those laws I originally gave you and you've kind of you messed them up into this convoluted whatever you want to call it that comes under the guise of religion. I want to bring you back to to show you what that really looks like and truth. And so he does not do away with the law, but he interprets that law in the light of the new life that he came to give mankind. And then he talks about how to deal with hurts and How to deal with anger issues. Isn't it amazing? He doesn't leave anything out. He must have known that 2020 was coming. (laughs) And that we would be living in a culture like we live in. Because we need to learn how to deal with our anger issues. We need to learn how to deal with our hurts. We need to learn the right spirit in which to live so that they do not conquer us, but we conquer them. Amen. He talked about morality and purity uh, of, of laws that should govern your life that are that are higher than the laws of the land or the laws of culture. Our culture says that it doesn't matter if you marry a person or not. If, if you want to cohabitate, that's okay. I mean, kind of get to know each other. But uh, according to the word, God has a different perspective on relationships than that. He sanctified um, a union called marriage for, for that relationship to be enjoyed in. But our culture says that 
That's no big deal. And so you would be shocked at some of the surveys that are being taken in the church world, the denominal church world right now, where as much as 50% of the congregants are not even married. They're living together. But they still come to church and they still go through the motions. And so we've got this hypocrisy going on under the guise of Christianity or what true worship is or what true living for God represents. God said, hey, I need you to understand there are some moral principles that are unchanging whether it's 1945 or, or 2019. These principles do not change. Amen. And so he talks about relationships and my responsibility in those relationships that, that I, I, I need to be careful about my relationships and I need to know how to mend relationships. I need to know how to do the right thing when relationships are broken. And then he talks about worship and he talks about worship in the sense of giving that, and that's in chapter seven. He talks about worship and prayer. How prayer is connected as, as part of worship it is not just one thing you do. Worship is the whole tent under which you operate. And that tent covers a lot of areas of, of giving and praying and fasting. And where is your treasure at anyway? Where, where is your heart at today? What, what's important to you? And so he's teaching all of these things to his disciples. This is what the kingdom looks like. These are the principles that should govern your life. This is how you gain access to my presence. This is how you gain my favor. This is how you find blessing. This is how you find real joy. This is where you find real peace. Amen. Worship and access to my life. God's access to my life. How, how open am I? To, to allowing the, the Lord to do what he wants to do in my life. You know, we, we love to, to get caught up in a good praise and worship service, but then when God starts speaking real clearly to us, it's amazing how quickly we can shut down because there's just some areas we don't want anybody going to. But Jesus said, if you're going to have a real relationship with me and it's going to be powerful and meaningful, you're going to have to let me have access to every area of your life. Because that's the only way I can truly bless you. I cannot bless you when you only let me in the living room, but you won't let me in the bedroom or the den or the kitchen. I need access to the whole house. And so he talks to them about having the right access and worshiping the right God. You can, man, you, you, he talks about God and mammon and, and how mammon has been elevated because it's an external thing. It's, it, it's what the Pharisees and the scribes considered to be evidence of blessing. And so we, we, we make uh, gods out of many things, money and jobs and positions. And, and, and God said, I want to help you understand who your true God should always be. And it should never deviate from that. And if you will put me in my right place, then I will make sure that everything else in your life is put in its right place. I remember, uh, 
a young lady several years ago, young married lady, and um, it was a very moving service, young couples that were together for uh, a special service. And at the end, after a lot of prayer and, and a, a great move of God, the minister that was in charge of the service opened the service and just allowed them to go around the room and just kind of express their their thoughts and feelings of what had happened that night. And I'll never forget this young lady's testimony. She She started talking about how her life had become so complicated and she, she had graduated from high school and, and she had gone straight into college to pursue a degree and, and then in the process of that she fell in love and she wound up getting married and, 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 and they, they began to try to build a home and create a, a, a atmosphere of, 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 of a home life and, and then the, the school and the demands of the school and, and then work and, and the demands and pressures of paying bills and, and learning and getting adjusted to one another as husband and wife. And then she said, all of a sudden, one day I woke up and realized that I was empty. She said, I, 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 I couldn't put my finger, I just, for, for days, and I, I, I just kind of staggered through because I knew something wasn't right. And she said, tonight, God showed me what was wrong, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And she said, God showed me a picture of my life, and, and, and my life was all laid out perfect order, and, and because I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler for order. I had, this is my husband's, my, my relationship and this is my, my career and this is my home and these are my friends and, and this is my job and this is something else. But she said, I, I realized there was no place for God. I, I, I still had God out there. I was trying to figure out how to fit him in there and there was no place to fit God in. God said, the problem is you started at the wrong place. If you had put me in the center and then let all of those other things spoke off, there would have been order, true order to your life. But because you tried to do it your way and you wanted to order your life in in, in your way, you didn't have any place for me and I had no voice in your life. And, and what Jesus was trying to teach through these, the, these sermons, the, this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he was trying to teach men and women how to have the right understanding of, of relationship with things. But at the center of life has got to be the one true living God. And then when you let him be the center, all of this other stuff finds its place and order. And nobody can order life like God can. If you don't believe he knows how to fix chaos, go read Genesis 1. <laughs> Amen. But if you don't, if you don't understand the priorities of the kingdom, that these are not just demands. These are opportunities. And, and the truth is, 
The commandments of God, if you go read those commandments, every one of those commandments is connected to a commitment that God said, if you will do this, I'll do this. And and so what's happened, if we're not careful, we make everything about living for God this negative thing of well you I can't do this and 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 I can't do that and our, our whole life is governed by what we can't do or we shouldn't do or we oughtn't do and the truth is every commandment God has ever given to man has always been connected to a commitment on his part that if you will honor me I will honor you if you will put me in the right place I will put you in your place and I will exalt you in due season. Amen. He talks about true and wise judgment. Making right decisions and correct decisions. And moving in the right direction. And choices that we make. And resolutions that we we, we determine in our life. How those things affect our life. And he closes chapter 7 with one of those stories that just kind of sticks in your mind. And it doesn't matter how many times you go look at it. When you go back to it, you find that it's speaking to you again. But he tells the story of the two foundations. Two foundations. And uh, he talks about uh, how, how the storm affected both of them. But the outcome of the storm was was radically different. One house stood, the other one fell. And the bottom line of that, or at least my, when I read that story, the bottom line message that I get out of that is that all of it boiled down to the decisions that the builders made at some point in their life as to where they were going to build their house. Because they both had the same material. I figure they both had the same skill level. I figure they both had the same uh, plans. I mean, I, I don't think God would, would would make it harder on one person than he did on the other. I'm just being honest. I, I, I know sometimes we think, well, God just expects more out of me than he does other. No, he doesn't expect any more out of you than he expects out of me. But he does expect me to honor his word. And the fact is that they had the same opportunity, but one of them squandered it by the choice he made by just building in a convenient place. Because where one built, you gotta, you're gonna have to pack some mules. You're gonna have to carry some stuff up the mountains because the rocks are up in the mountains. They're not along the stream beds where the sand is. So one of them's building because it's convenient to build. It's right here. The other one understands that I, I want something that's going to last. And so he looks up and he sees a, a, a little bit more solid foundation. Somebody had to make a choice as to where they were building and, and, and how they were going to build their house. And you and I are doing that on a daily basis. You know what? I may not have had a choice when I came into this world. I didn't get to choose my parents. I didn't get to choose where I was born. The general hospital in Wichita Falls, it doesn't even exist anymore. 
I didn't get to choose the doctor that delivered me. I think there was a doctor around back then. I don't think it was that long ago. I didn't get to choose the nurses that handled me. I didn't get to choose the diapers they put on me. I didn't get to choose the formula that they gave me. But as I grew, things changed. And I am where I am tonight because I made some decisions in my life. At one point, they were the most critical decisions that I could make. And they were the difference between me going down one highway or going down another that would have led me way far away from God. And we all do that on a daily basis. We may not have a choice on how our story begin, but we do have a choice on how our story ends. You may not have had a choice about some things in your life, but Jesus said you do have a choice on how this thing's going to wrap up. And you need to know how important it is that you make right decisions, wise decisions. The most convenient thing is not always the wisest thing. Amen. Kingdom principles. Makes me hungry to want to dig in a little deeper. Because I want to know what a really blessed life looks like. Amen. Because I want to be blessed. Amen. I, I love blessings. I love favor. I love it when God smiles. Amen. And he identifies what real happiness looks like. He, he talks about what divine joy is. This is what's so interesting about what he, what he uses in this word blessed. And the literal translation is, oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit. Oh, the blessedness of the meek in spirit. Oh, 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 the blessedness. But he identifies what true joy, not happiness, because happiness the root of happiness is hap. And, and the, the, the meaning of hap is chance. So happiness is based on chance. It's based on the roll of the dice. It's based on whether we get cool weather tomorrow or whether we get hot weather tomorrow. But the joy, the, the kind of relationship that Jesus was talking about is not based on what's happening to you. It's based on what's going on in you and what you have in you. And you can have something that's so strong and so powerful that no matter how the outward circum, you could be persecuted. You could be abused, but it, it doesn't affect you. Blessed What did he say? Let me go back. I I know some of us find this hard to believe. He said, but blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Blessed are you when men shall revile you. You mean that you can be blessed and people talk about you? Yeah, you can be blessed and people talk about you. Now, you can be unblessed and people talk about you if you react wrongly. 
But if you know what he's talking, if you've got what Jesus is talking about, there's something deep inside of you that is unshakable. It's unmovable. You can't dislodge me. I don't care what you put on Facebook. Hey, my life is not dependent on whether you give me a thumbs up or thumb down. I want to know what God thinks about me and what he thinks about me trumps what everybody else thinks about me. Now, I want you to think well of me. I do. I really do. And sometimes I, I'm, I know I tread on dangerous ground, but I want, I want him to be the one that approves because when he approves, that's what really matters. And so he talks about an inner sufficiency. He talks about having an inner strength that is so strong that it's not hard to humble yourself because you're not so into yourself that you can't take yourself down. Amen. I, I prayed tonight. I said, God, I want to become a true worshiper. You know, sometimes you, you know, your, your mind plays all kind of tricks on you. You come in, you lift your hand, you, you think somebody's watching you. You know what? God told me tonight, he said, nobody's watching you. But I am. And you need to be more concerned about me watching you than them watching you. So it made me understand when I come into his house, I don't need to be concerned about anything but glorifying him. That needs to be the focus of my energy and my attention. And I want to give him everything because he deserves everything that I can give him. Amen. There's no simple statement. Uh, it, it It is an exclamation. Oh, the blessedness of. Amen. He's not speaking of something that I hope for. He's speaking of a fact. There are facts concerning what you can expect when you do the right thing. And here's where true joy is found. This is where true happiness arises. Amen. God-like joy is something so deep and so rich that with all of the changes of life, it cannot take away what you have found in your relationship with God. And you're unmovable, unshakable. Pain can't do it. Sorrow can't do it. Loss can't do it. Grief is powerless. Amen. What people say about you, what people do to you, amen. Hey, he didn't say it wouldn't hurt. He just said it wouldn't kill you, amen. It shines through the tears. Here are principles that when we embrace them and we begin to live them, they will change everything in our life. Amen. Even a change in your financial position can't take it away. A collapse of my health can't take it away. The failure of my plans do not rob me of that joy, that unspeakable joy. Disappointment does not diminish what God has given to me. Amen. Praise God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. 
How many of us have tried to practice being a peacemaker? Not a peace seeker, but a peacemaker. There's a whole world of difference between the two. Because a peace seeker is just looking for the least amount of friction, but a peacemaker is trying to figure out how to bridge the gap. Amen. And sometimes in order to do that, you've got to humble yourself. And you've got to take it on the chin and act like it was your fault. But wouldn't you rather act like it was your fault and restore a relationship than keep that bridge broken and that relationship fractured? He said, I'm going to tell you how to heal your relationships. I'm going to tell you how to rebuild bridges. I better shut up. Come on, stand with me right now. 845, I've said enough. Amen. Praise God. I'll tell you what I want you to do. The next, for the, for the next week, I just want you to spend time, a little bit of time every day in Matthew 5, 6, 7. Will you do that? And, and just write down what the Lord speaks to you. Because what I'm going to tell you is going to happen is that God speaks to you in a language sometimes He doesn't speak to me. He speaks to me in a language I understand. Uh, and, and He may speak to you through cooking books and baking pies and all that kind of stuff. He, he speaks to me in a, a, a different language. But when you start reading that word and you, you're trying to embrace it, God, what are you saying here? What are you trying to tell me out of this, this principle? What, what, what is this principle that you are speaking, right? How does that affect my life? How can I live that out? I assure you, God's going to speak to you. He's going to give you some things that if you will begin to do them will bring greater joy to your life than anything else. It'll bring more joy than buying a brand new Tesla or a brand new Maserati or a brand new Rolls Royce or having a mansion or going on your dream vacation free. Amen. Praise God. I love the Word of God because it's ever alive and it never dies. And it speaks to me continually. And I believe God wants to speak to us. So go go with me on a journey over the next couple of weeks. Amen. In Jesus' name, say amen. It is so. God bless you. We're going to baptize one tonight, so get ready. They're getting them ready? All right. Product of Brother Dwayne's Bible study. Two young ladies that came last night. One of them is going to be baptized. I know maybe the other one will, will be this weekend. We're believing God for that. But so many great things happening there. Why don't you love somebody while they're getting them in here and enjoy a great work of God tonight.